good morning. Thank you for your patience with our little technical glitches. There's always something. Not usually. There shouldn't be any. <laughs> but these things happen, so thank you. Hey, let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1. The week before last, we looked at this genealogy of Jesus going from Abraham all the way to Jesus, proving without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David, his father from the line of Judah. And that is important because the scriptures, the prophecies in the Old Testament that had been given hundreds and even a few thousand years before Jesus would be born all pointed to that fact. And so if there was anything that was wrong in the way that things went, we, wouldn't, we would have no assurance, no confidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Logos, the Savior of the world. In which case, we would probably be wasting our time even today if that were the case. But that is not what happened. The Bible is replete with scriptures and, and prophecies of those things that had happened in the past that proved Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And if you remember, uh, the week, last week we looked at what happened chronologically before we get here to verse 18, which is where we're going to pick up today in chapter 1. Remember in Luke's gospel, beginning in chapter 1 in verse 26, going through all the way close to the end of that chapter, it spoke of when the angel Gabriel came and spoke to Mary this wonderful prophetic utterance that from her womb would be planted the seed of God, that it would be the Messiah, and that he would rule and reign over all the earth. In fact, he would be the Savior of the world. And what a privilege it was for this young Jewish girl whose every Jewish young lady's Hope was one day to be the, the mother of the Messiah. They had read about it in their prophets for hundreds of years, and each one of them hoped, could it be me, Lord? Could it be me? And, and finally, it comes to pass. And, it, it, and the, the Lord sends the angel Gabriel to come and to speak to this young lady in Nazareth. She was probably only 14, 15, maybe 16, or even 13, somewhere in that she was a teen, young teen when this happened. It kind of blows everything in our culture apart, doesn't it, when we think about such a young woman having uh, the Son of God with no experience whatsoever. Think about that. If you were going to give birth to, to Almighty God, wouldn't you want the most seasoned woman on the planet who's had many opportunities to uh, have a child and to raise up a child? But they, were, they had nothing, but they had everything. Because God was with them. Amen? God was with Mary and Joseph. And you didn't know it was Christmas, did you? But uh, we're going to be looking at some things this morning that will um, hopefully encourage you. But as we looked at Luke chapter 1, we saw that, that coming and the angel Gabriel speaking to, to Mary. And, and so it brings us this morning to verse 18. And remember, it says... Notice with me, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Joseph, son of David, underline that because that's important, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin, the virgin, shall conceive, shall be with child, and bear a son, And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her. He did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I labeled this morning's message, uh, the virgin birth and the crisis of obedience. The virgin birth makes a lot of sense to us because it's something that we're all very familiar with. But the crisis of obedience part is probably something we're not as familiar with. But let me suggest to you that Mary and Joseph, they went through a crisis of obedience. And we will see this theme throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, this idea of a crisis of obedience, meaning that when God says to do something, when it's his will, when it's his command, when it's his desire for us or anyone to do something, there immediately comes into play in our mind all the things and the reasons why we shouldn't do that. And sometimes it's maybe it goes against our, our understanding. It goes against our what we perceive as common sense. It might even go against our training or our abilities. And so we immediately have this conflict. Am I going to obey God or am I going to hide in my fear because of my limitations? And in fact, Mary and Joseph had every reason, and Joseph especially, hearing that now his wife, when they were betrothed, that they had this period of a year that the contract between the parents, Mary and Joseph's parents, had already been established, and so this marriage contract was already binding. So now they had a year to kind of figure this out, but they weren't allowed to consummate the marriage. And so it was in this time that God, through the, the, Gabriel, came and spoke to Mary all these wonderful things, telling her what is going to happen and what is, what is, who she's going to give birth to. And naturally, she is confounded because she's never known a man. So this is impossible from her perspective, and certainly Joseph knows, and can you imagine him, this year of betrothal, this testing period before they finally consummate their, and have their wedding feast and all of that, to find that in that interim that his girl, the woman he loves, and hopefully he loved her, you know, it was an arranged marriage, so hopefully they're like, hey, I, you know, you really are kind of cute, so maybe sometimes it wasn't like that, you know, but I'm sure Mary was a beautiful young lady, and Joseph is like, my heart is shattered. How can this happen? In this time where we're supposed to be remain pure, and then now you're pregnant? His whole world is going up in flames, and Mary's is going up in flames. 
And it was a crisis, a crisis of obedience, because now both of them are going to be, thank God, the Lord had spoken to Mary and told her these things, but now Joseph has his own crisis now because he doesn't understand that. And who would? I mean, this has never happened before. So this is brand new territory. He's never, no one's ever experienced that before. I mean, if what Mary is saying is true from Joseph's perspective, then this had to be a miracle, but this has never happened before. Mary, don't you understand? This has never happened. How you'd expect me to believe this? Everyone around us is, is looking at you, looking at me, going, mm-hmm. But how was this to be? And thank God that God sends an angel of the Lord to speak to Joseph and to explain this to him in a dream. God can speak to us in many ways. Predominantly, he speaks to us through his word, but sometimes he speaks to us in that still, small voice in our heart. And sometimes, yes, even in a dream, but that dream is never going to go against God's revealed will. It's not going to be in opposition to the word of God. Do you follow me? So some people say, well, I had a dream that I should go and I should flatten that guy's tires. Well, I can tell you that that's not a vision from God, okay? You get my point. So how is this possible? So they've got a crisis on their hands, and Joseph is going, how is this possible? And everyone is looking, at, looking upon them for good reason, because it's never happened before. And guess what? It will never happen again. Once in the history of eternity, it happened once. So I think there was some precedence for people to be a little skeptical. But hopefully, through as the angel and as God is ministering to Mary and Joseph and sharing these things, that they're sharing these things with the people around them that are very skeptical. And then they should have looked into their scriptures. They knew the Messiah was coming. They knew he would be coming through Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be the smallest among you know, the many of Judah, yet from you shall come forth the one who will rule. You know, I mean, they should have at least looked at the facts. They should have gone through the checklist, looked at Mary and Joseph. Yeah, we know Mary is from Judah, and so is Joseph. Wow, that's interesting. Hey, and remember in Genesis 49? Well, yeah, I remember in Micah 5, 2. Oh, remember in Isaiah 7, 14 and 9, 6? Oh, my goodness, all this is lining up. Could this be the one? They should have been looking at the scriptures. But like many people today, they're not looking at the scriptures. Maybe some did, but some didn't. So they had this arranged marriage. And notice, before they came together, she was found with child. Before she was found with child. Notice, of the Holy Spirit. And this idea of the virgin birth, this doctrine, is foundational to our Christian faith. It's absolutely foundational because if Joseph was Jesus' real biological father, then what the Bible has said about Jesus is false. And if that is true, then Jesus is not the Son of God, but he's just the Son of Joseph. The deity of Christ would be held into question. It would also be false. And like Paul said to the Corinthians, if that is the case, then we might as well just eat and drink and party hardy because tomorrow we die. Isn't that the truth? If this didn't happen, if this wasn't God doing this, if God wasn't behind the scenes, if this virgin birth didn't really occur, then we are folks, that alone causes everything to go away, and we are wasting our time. But again, we are not wasting our time. 
But the Holy Spirit of God placed that seed of God in Mary's womb. And thus Jesus was 100% human, but he was also 100% God in the flesh. This is what we call the mystery of the incarnation because it doesn't make sense. Try to explain that to somebody because it's never happened before. It's a mystery for some that are hard. It's hard to understand. And the Apostle Paul would exhort the Colossians and he would say, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Speaking of Jesus. And so for the virgin to conceive, it would be supernatural. It would supernaturally have to happen without a human involved at all, which is exactly what did happen because we learn that in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And then in Micah 5, 2, what does it tell us there? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And now transport that directly in Mary's timetable, directly at her time, and it became Those prophecies came to fruition right there on the spot because it tells us that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to a city of Galilee Galilee, named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary. This happened. And then notice in verse 19, It says, then Joseph, her husband, notice being a just man, meaning he was a righteous, innocent man. He was equitable. He was a holy man. He was a good man. The Bible says he's a just man. And not wanting to make her a public example, meaning he didn't want to expose Mary because she, uh, from all natural accounts, she ought to be exposed because this has never happened. Joseph is saying to himself, well, if I didn't do this and I wasn't sleepwalking some night, then this had to be with somebody else. So she's worthy of death, as well as the, the other one who was involved. But he knows it wasn't him. And notice, he was, he was not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away secretly, meaning to divorce her. To divorce her, even though this contract was in place, that the two parents would have to go through legal proceedings to disannul or to uh, to disannul the marriage, and Joseph would have every right to do that, had not the Lord intervened. And that's he wanted to do it quietly. He respected her. He didn't understand it. And aren't you glad that God shows up usually at the at the twelfth hour? Maybe not even the eleventh hour. We're sweating bullets, and right when the clock. Ticks 12, he shows up, and I'm like, ah, why couldn't you just showed up at 6? Why now, Lord? And the Lord's going, but think of the wonderful thing that I did in your heart in that meantime. It was a crisis of obedience. It was a crisis in your heart, and you had to make a choice. Am I going to do it, or am I going to allow God to do it? We do have those crises of obedience, and so did Joseph, because what the Bible says, what does it tell us in Deuteronomy? If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, meaning has intercourse with her, 
Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out, notice, in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so shall you put away the evil from among you. And we know that if that was the case, then Mary would have screamed if she was forced. But she wasn't forced, because no man laid a hand on her. It was the Holy Spirit who did this. And so God is always on time. Notice the grace of God, just making sure that Mary and Joseph know independently from one another what was happening. And they would both need to be on, on one side of this issue. They would both need to be one on this issue because it would have torn them apart had not the Lord intervened. And see, that's what I love about God. He intervenes when we are the most desperate. If you're really seeking him, when you are, he shows up for desperation. I know that for, to be true because I've seen it in my own life. When I am truly desperate, the Lord has never left me hanging out there. I never liked his timing, but he always showed up at the right time and it always worked out. But according to his plan, his way, not my own, and they would both need to be one, Mary and Joseph, because the devil was very much on the prowl, as we will see next week. And because this was a one-time miracle, it would be difficult for everyone around them not to be suspicious. And even Jesus had to endure the stigma all the time that he was walking the earth. And we see that in, the, um, in John 8, 40. Notice what it says, but now you seek to kill me, Jesus says to the Jews, a man who has told you the truth, which I have heard from God. Abraham did not do this, but you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, notice, here he is, 30, at least 30 years of age now. 30 years have gone on with this suspicion of what, how he came to pass. And they, the Jews said to him, well, we weren't born of fornication. We have one God, one father, and that's God. The stigma continually was attached to him and certainly to Mary and Joseph. So hopefully the angelic visitors that are speaking to Mary and Joseph are not only encouraging them, but also encouraging all those around them. And you think about this, what sacrifice it was for Mary and Joseph and what fortitude it would take to go through that. You know, many people think that living a godly life Living in God's will is one of ease and without difficulty. But more often than not, the opposite is true. There is peace and rest, we know that. But there's also trials, adversity, sometimes even affliction. Suffering for Jesus' sake seems unfair and it seems like something that God shouldn't allow, but it is what we are appointed to. We are appointed to suffer. Now, we don't like that. That's a really great thing. I think of the movement you could start with that. If you join this movement, you're going to suffer. <laughs> Sign-up sheets right here. Why isn't anybody, why, why isn't there a line? Where's the line? There should be a line of people signing up to suffer. No, nobody wants to suffer. Naturally, it, it would be sick to think that we would enjoy suffering. We don't enjoy suffering Anybody who does is not telling you the truth. But it is part of our walk with the Lord, isn't it? It is part of it. In fact, I'm going to read some scriptures to you. 
And it was starting for Mary and Joseph as well. They would go through a time of difficulty. The Bible says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaking to his young protege says, Yes, and all who, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. You are a marked person if you are a believer in Jesus this morning. Satan knows who you are, and the more effective you are for, his, for God's kingdom, he's going to know you a little bit more, and you're going to be more of a threat to his kingdom, and you're going to experience the, the, the persecution. You're going to experience the oppression, and you, maybe even affliction, only if God allows it. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to go through a complete disaster. No, it doesn't mean that at all, but... It is true, isn't it, that as you go through this Christian life, we're going to experience these things. In Philippians, he tells them, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's not something I want to sign up for. That's not what I signed up for. But yes, it is. It's something that we in America aren't really familiar with. We're not familiar with persecution like other church, the other members of the church in other parts of the, of the world, where they are under persecution. You and I live in a blessed country. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells the persecuted believers, he says, for, for to this you were called, speaking of difficulty and suffering, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, having leaving us, have, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. In 1 Peter chapter 3, but he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And then in verse 17 of that, he says, For it is better, if it is, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than doing evil. So these things are going to come. And they had already begun for Mary and Joseph, and certainly Jesus. I think it's in Revelation chapter 12 where it speaks of the dragon coming after the woman who had just given birth to her, to her son. And certainly we're going to see that next week. Uh, there's a lot to that, but I, I think in the very immediate, it's certainly speaking of Herod coming after Jesus, wanting to destroy him and to kill all the infants. We're going to see that. And even Acts chapter 5, when the disciples were before the religious leaders, and it says, and when they had uh, called for the apostles and they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And so the disciples departed, notice, from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And Paul in Philippians would say this, but what things were gained to me? These I have also counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, notice, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now, aren't you glad you came this morning? <laughs> yes, this is a hard thing for us to, to hear. But these things 
happened to Mary and Joseph. They're going to happen to Jesus. And to any believer in Jesus Christ, you can expect this to be the case for you. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to some level. To some, it's just a name-calling. To some, it's somebody spitting on you. To some, it's being overlooked for a job promotion. To some, it's even death. And that's God's business. That's not our business to decide. And yet, that keeps many people away from Christ. I think it's important to tell people the truth. Because my life really didn't begin until I gave my heart to Christ, until I was born again. And then I realized, because I had been a prisoner of Satan for so long, I had no idea that I was in his camp all the time. I had no idea. I was destined, I was bound for hell, at least at that time, until he came into my life. And I didn't even ask him. Miracle of miracles. And then everything changed. And now I see. But I also know there's a real battle going on. Now I see the battle. And there's only a certain amount of it that I can comprehend. I'm certain if we could all comprehend the spiritual conflict that's going on in the heavens right now, we would probably all need to take some kind of pill because we would just be completely blown away. And I'm glad that the Lord shields that from us to some extent. But we see the ramifications of those spiritual things in very physical ways. It happened yesterday when that, that young man walked into Tops. That's a spiritual battle that's happening, and he succumbed to it. And hopefully that man comes to Christ. But many have lost their lives. Notice that uh, in Psalm 34, this is a really wonderful scripture. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yes, that's true. And you've experienced some of those. And some of you experience more than others. But notice the end of this. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go through afflictions, but that affliction is not going to destroy you, and the Lord will ultimately save you through it. Just like the three lads in the fiery furnace. The Lord was with them. He delivered them out of it. But does that mean that they didn't have affliction? No, they went through affliction, but they had made it up in their mind already. King, if you throw us in this oven, if our God does not save us, then we perish. It's just that simple. We're ready to do it. So do what you must do, but we will not serve your golden idol. (laughs) What faith. See, I want faith like that. And I I haven't really been tried too much either to know really the the true character of my faith. But Mary and Joseph, their faith is being tried. The very things that they are just screaming about inside, how can this be, how can this be? And then they have a decision to make. You know, Joseph can either believe Mary or he cannot believe her. He can either follow through and putting her away and maybe even exposing her, but he didn't. I believe that the church in this country is going to see more persecution because of the things that are going on, especially with Roe v. Wade uh, slated to be overturned. And if it is, be prepared because the enemy is coming after the church. He always has, and he is going to ramp up. I don't say that to frighten you, but I say that to have you press in in prayer 
and to prepare your own hearts. Notice in verse 20 with me, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This meant, obviously, that the Spirit of God had implanted the seed in her womb. And notice what he said, Joseph, son of David, this salutation certainly would get Joseph's attention because certainly Joseph was aware of the Old Testament. That's all they had. And every Sunday or every Saturday or every Friday, whenever they would go to synagogue, these scriptures would be read at different intervals throughout the year. And he had grown up hearing these prophecies. Certainly he was aware of Genesis 49 verse 10, where Jacob speaking to his sons when they were in Egypt, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, which is a reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we already looked at Micah 5 too. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be of the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from everlasting. And certainly Joseph would know. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it, And Joseph would certainly need this reminder and this encouragement because, again, nothing like this has ever happened. Truly difficult circumstances. See, in our culture today, when a young girl gets pregnant, it's not a big deal anymore. I mean, people, well, another one, you know, that's kind of their attitude. But back at this time, it was a really big deal. And do you think God knew what scrutiny would be put upon the two of them? The gossip that would circle around them? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to your wife, and she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Yes, Jesus. His name literally is Joshua. That's what Mary called him when he was running around in the terrible twos. I don't, I don't even know if Jesus had the terrible twos. I mean, was he sticking the fork in the light socket? I don't know if he was. Uh, you know, but yeah, unlikely. That's right. But the thing is, is here he is running around, and, and, and yet the Lord is, is going to be using this woman. But his name literally means, it's, it's Joshua, Jehovah Shua, meaning God's salvation. And notice that the very meaning of his name was the very purpose, the very reason for him coming to the earth to begin with. That is the reason he came. He, he was born to die. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus speaking to Zacchaeus, he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In John verse 3, verse 16 and 17, we know this very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son, listen to this, into the world to condemn the world, but that the the world through him might be saved. And so Jesus coming to earth to pay the price for our sins and offer us the gift of salvation, it was the greatest mission. It was the greatest act of worship the world has ever seen. 
So verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let me ask you something. How important is the word of God? God alone has the foreknowledge and power to speak things before they come to pass. No one else can do that. The devil and his demons are not omnipotent. They are certainly not omniscient. They are not omnipresent. They only know what God allows them to know. There's no other guru or holy man or founder of any world religion that can tell things with 100% accuracy every single time. There is no one and never has there been and there never will be only God can do this. That's why Joseph Smith and the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, all of their leaders were false prophets. But God tells the world 700 years with this scripture ahead of time, before it comes to pass, that Jesus would come. How important is the word of God? And you know, actually, this idea of the virgin birth goes even back to Genesis. And we see this in Genesis 3.15. Remember, when God was speaking to the serpent, Satan, in the Garden of Eden, he said this, and I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, speaking of Christ, the seed of the woman. He shall bruise your head, meaning it's going to be a fatal blow, and you shall bruise his heel. The death of Christ was just a bruise because he rose again. He recovered. But when God puts his bruise on Satan, he's going to crush him, and ultimately one day he will be destroyed, but he will live forever in the lake of fire, in his destruction, eternal destruction and damnation. But notice that women don't have seed, do they? Women have eggs. If we go to Biology 101, it says that, right? The woman has the egg, and the male has the seed or the sperm, right? And when they unite, conception begins. But notice what it says in Genesis. Between your seed and her seed, the seed of Mary... It's kind of a funny thing to say. Even in this, this reference in Genesis 3.15 is prophetic. She was to give the egg. What's the seed of the woman? That means that Joseph had nothing to do with it. And it speaks very clearly of something else. And that we know is the virgin birth. And God is also showing here the battle that will ensue. And has been going on between the devil and his demons and against those who are Christ throughout the generations. And let me suggest to you that the devil really despises women. Because through you, ladies, came forth the Savior. It came through one, obviously, but through childbearing was brought forth the Savior of the world. And Satan has a special hatred for women, which doesn't surprise me when I look around and I see how he's hurting so many women. And how many men are involved in all of this too, in hurting them? And it should have no place in our culture, certainly no place even in the church. But there is a battle playing out right before our eyes, especially on the abortion issue. We spent a good amount of time last week, and I don't want to rehash that, but these people who are fighting to do this, They need Jesus. 
They need, to, they need Jesus, and we, the church, we ought to be willing to lovingly tell them about Jesus. And we have to be careful that we don't allow our anger and our frustration, which is very real, we can't allow that to get in the way. We have to love these people. We don't have to agree with them, but we don't have to fight them in the sense of, of, of you know, getting crazy. We have to pray for them. We have to lovingly lead them to Christ and be the example. We need to remember who the enemy really is. Those people that you see on the picket lines fighting and wanting to murder their children. And they can justify their means all they want. They say health care is, or abortion is health care. No, it's not. It's murder. That's what it is. But his name shall be called Emmanuel. And again, more than any other book in the Bible, except the book of Revelation, we know that Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than any other book of the Bible, except for Revelation, showing us, proving to us that Jesus is who he said he was, the rightful heir to the throne. But notice, underline in, the, in verse 23 here, the virgin. That notice there is a, uh, notice it says the virgin and not a virgin. The virgin is, the virgin is a better translation. It's a better translation because not just any virgin would conceive, but God had one young lady in mind, and it was Mary from Nazareth of the lineage of David of the tribe of Judah. Now, there are many English translations that, that hold to this. And this is not like a huge deal, but, but, I, but I think it is important to notice that if you've got any one of these translations, the New King James, the New International Version, the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, the New Revised Standard Version, Young's Little Translation of the Holy Bible, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, all of them say and use the definite article, the virgin. The virgin. And much to my chagrin, the King James Version <laughs> actually says a virgin. And the NASB and the ASV. But the overwhelming majority say the virgin because it was a specific lady. Specific young woman, not just a virgin. It was the virgin. Notice in verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Notice that Joseph, again, the Bible tells us he was a faithful man and he obeyed the Lord. He didn't second guess. He didn't argue with the Lord. He didn't, when the angel came to him in a dream, he didn't argue with him. He simply did what the angel told him. And this is what is called a crisis of obedience. It's when, again, when you obey God, even though your circumstances, even your feelings are leading you to go in another direction. When you obey God and you go against the grain, it could be, uh, it could be when God is encouraging you, to, encouraging you to do something that goes against your common sense. Yes, even your common sense or your own experience or training and there were at least two things in this passage this morning here that had it not been for the direction of the Lord, Joseph might have done something different. But he chose to be obedient to the things that he heard. Joseph would have to decide whether Mary was telling the truth and whether to trust her. Joseph would have to choose now whether to expose Mary which would more than likely bring about her stoning to death, he would also have to choose to obey the Lord and continue to be with Mary after, he, after Jesus was born and continue to support her. 
Doesn't the Bible say that obedience is better than sacrifice? And so now Joseph has got this crisis of obedience. Am I going to believe her? Am I going to believe the Lord? Am I going to believe what this angel told me in a dream, this angel of the Lord? Am I going to believe that? Am I going to follow through now and act as if what Mary said was actually true? Am I going to believe her? Are we going to be one in this going forward? They had better be one because all of hell is coming after them and, 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 and baby Jesus. It's coming after him. He not only came after him, but he comes after us too because we're followers of Jesus. Notice, we're going to get to this next week, but in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, there was a time... It says, and this was um, Jesus about this time was uh, just a little under two years old, we believe. But it says that, uh, when, now when they had departed from Bethlehem, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, notice again, in a dream, saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, because Herod is going to seek the young child to destroy him. And so he arose. He took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. And notice, Joseph did these things. And were these things easy, do you think? Do you think this was a crisis of obedience? I think it was. He was very comfortable in Nazareth with his carpentry business. And now he has to come down because of a, uh, a taxation that, uh, in, in, a, in a census. He has to return to Bethlehem for a season. But while he's in Bethlehem, the Lord tells him, hey, you better go to Egypt because Herod is going to seek to kill the child. So now he leaves everything in the north that he's been grown up with. He's, he leaves that and now goes even further southwest to Egypt with this very uh, this young mother and this young child who is now a toddler. And Joseph understood the Old Testament. Many of the Old Testament scriptures told about God not being pleased with the Israelites lending or, or leaning on the hand of Egypt. There's plenty of scriptures about that. So Joseph knew that. Lord, why do you want me to go there? They're pagans. Why do you want me to go to Egypt? Why do you want me to go back to the world? But notice, he did it. He didn't ask questions. He didn't argue with God. And notice, Joseph would have to leave his home in Nazareth, his, his business, and take whatever they could carry on mules. And now he's traveling in the dust and the heat, and the, the road is difficult with a, with a mother who now has a very young child. None of this was convenient. None of this was convenient. In fact, it was a crisis of obedience again. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to quickly read about another crisis of obedience. This is a passage that we all know extremely well, especially if you've been in this church for any number of years. Genesis 22. It's when God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham is going to offer Isaac up on an altar. Notice what it says. It came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, this was a huge crisis of obedience for Abraham. 
And why is that? Because by offering his son as a burnt offering, Abraham would be killing the one to whom God had promised Abraham five chapters prior. You might want to put in your margin of your Bible Genesis 17, uh, verses 15 through 19, because what did God tell Abraham five chapters prior to this? This is what he said. God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her, and then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of all nations, a mother of nations, excuse me, kings of peoples shall be from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah who was 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish, notice, Isaac, I will establish, Abraham, my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants, notice that, his descendants after him. So Abraham knew that as he's about to thrust that knife into his son's chest, that God's got a problem. And the thing that I really marvel at is that Abraham knew the voice of God and had this relationship with God such that when God spoke to him, even though it was against everything in him, because Abraham certainly knew that the the Amorites, the Canaanites, this is exactly the things that they were doing. Postpartum abortions, that's what they were doing as part of their worship service. And Abraham knew that. God, how can you tell me to take my son and offer him like all the pagans? But I know your voice. I know your voice, so I'm going to do it. I don't get it. I don't like it. But Lord, if you are going to allow this to happen, then you've got to do a greater miracle and raise him from the dead because, God, you've made wonderful, precious promises to me. And I know that your promises cannot fail. So I'm going to go through with this, and God just loved this man. Friend of God. He knew the voice, and he went through with it. And you know what happened. As he was about to do it, God intervened and said, now I know. Of course God knew all along, but Abraham had to go through this crisis of obedience. He had to go through this crisis of listening to God when everything else is screaming, what are you doing? This is not right. Don't do it. And so right as he's about to do it, God intervenes and he brings, a, brings to Abraham's attention a ram and he says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. In the mount of the Lord shall be, it shall be seen because on that very same mountain range, perhaps even that same spot, that would be interesting, in that same area, several thousand years in the future from that moment, God the Father would offer his son on the cross, except this time he wouldn't withhold the blade. And of course, Jesus was hung, he was crucified. But then it was almost like a trial run. God was giving a foreshadowing of these things, and this is a crisis of obedience. Think of parents, if, you're, if you've only got one child, or even if you've got several, if God said to you, Take your child. I mean, th- this is the way we have to put this. If you know the voice of God, and the voice of God spoke to you so clearly, And he said to you, this is what I want you to do. Would you do it? 
I'll be honest with you right now, I would probably fail. God told me to sacrifice my daughter. Oh, I'm going to need a lot of reinforcements. Lord, can you just show a sign in the clouds? You know, write, Rob, I love you in the clouds. Lord, when, and, and throw, I'll be throwing out all these fleeces. I'd just be tossing them everywhere. And Lord, if this happens, then I know that you really meant it. If, if you know, if I, if I step on a, a, something on the ground, I look down, it's a, it's a Powerball lottery ticket, and I win, then I'll know that you spoke to me. If I, if I do this and I do that, and then I'll know. And, and, and God is like, all I had to do was speak to Abraham. And Abraham just did it. Now, I'm not uh, anticipating and I'm not encouraging anybody to do this kind of thing, <laughs> but God spoke to him, and it was totally something that racked Abraham to a point. And, and finally, he just said, okay, Lord, you've made the promises. I believe your promises. I'm going to follow through with it. I don't understand it. You're going to have to do something really awesome, but you're God. I'm not, and so I'm just going to be, I'm going to obey you when everything else is screaming inside of me, and everyone else around you would be screaming the same thing. It doesn't make sense. It's not common sense. It's wrong to do that. Now, this is an extenuating circumstances, and I don't think God does this a lot, okay? So don't uh, run with this. Uh, this was a, God was showing something in a type here. But this word, it says in verse 18, it says, In your seed all the generations of the earth shall be blessed, Abraham, because you have obeyed my voice. The same word seed is the same one that we saw in Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman. This is the same exact word. And so we're supposed to see that and link those two verses together. And it certainly would include Jacob and you know Isaac and Jacob and then Judah, King David, all the way down into Jesus um, being born. It certainly includes that as well. But the seed of the woman ultimately is Jesus. And what about Jesus himself? Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? A crisis of obedience. But Jesus had made up his mind already that he was going to fulfill the will of God. And in fact, as he was in the garden of Gethsemane, remember what had happened. He said to his disciples, or he said, then God said, my, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his, faith and he, on his face and he prayed. And he said, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But notice, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus surrendering. He's never experienced this either. Do you understand? He's never experienced physical crucifixion, which in and of itself is the most horrible, painful death that there ever could be. But in addition to that, Jesus has never been separated from his father ever. Do you think that he knew what was coming? I think he did. I believe that's why he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood because of the pressure that was on him. In the natural, his body screaming not to go through with this, but he surrendered all of that and says, Lord, your will be done. That is a crisis. Wouldn't you agree? 
And it says in Philippians that Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Uh, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Aren't you glad for that? I am. I'm so thankful for the Lord. But see, like Joseph, like Joseph, like Abraham, God may ask you to do something that everyone in your family and even some Christians will look at you and think you're crazy. But this is biblical faith. We've read some passages today. We've looked at that. We've seen even Joseph and Mary's life. And Joseph, against all the things that he would stand for, now he's, being, uh, he's willing to listen to God. And he's willing to entreat God and say, Lord, I, I don't get this at all. How can this be? But Lord, you said it, and I know you're telling me. You you spoke to me, and so I'm going to believe you. I choose to believe you, and I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't even like it, but you know what? I'm going to stay with Mary because I believe what she's telling me is true, and Lord, I believe what you've told me is true. So I've got, I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. And do you think that was easy when his parents and everyone around in the village of Nazareth is saying, oh, she's a dirty little girl? You're going to take her to be your wife? Joseph, you're better than that. You know what the Bible says. You know what the Old Testament scriptures say. You know what the law says. And now he's being obedient to God. Folks, that's biblical faith. It's not convenient. And it's challenging, isn't it? It challenges me like nobody's business And I expect it to challenge you as well. I do. But I believe that God is inviting us to this if we are willing and if we are led by him to step out of the known and the comfortable and the predictable and go into the unfamiliar, the unknown, and the unpredictable with Christ only as he leads you. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. All the things that we read in the scriptures are for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come. And whatever things were written before were written for our learning notice, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And I don't know about you, but there's something wonderful about the Word of God, because the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word of God. Hearing. Notice it doesn't say faith comes by seeing. A lot of people saw Jesus, a lot of people saw many things, but they didn't believe even though they saw. But faith comes by hearing and hearing something very specific, hearing the word of God. There's something about God's word that once it takes root in our heart, it builds upon itself and it builds up this bunker in our heart of faith. I notice in our last verse today, And notice, Joseph, he did not know her. That's just a King James 
phrase of saying he didn't have physical intimacy with her. He did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, but he did know her afterwards, right? (laughs) Jesus had brothers and sisters. Matthew tells us, It came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there, and when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogues so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joses, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? So we know there's got to be at least two sisters. Are they not here with us? Where then does this man get all these things? So other than Jesus, Jesus had six other siblings at least. Two of them sisters at least. And two of these men wrote epistles in the New Testament. Judas, who was Jude, and James, his brother. They both came to faith after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. But think about this. Think about what we read today. Certainly the virgin birth is foundational to our Christian faith, but also consider the crisis of obedience that many went through as a result of that. And that many of you have gone through crises, crises of obedience, and, and will continue, by the way, because this is part of our life In Christ. We are not exempt from difficulty and oppression. We're not exempt from difficulties. And so then it behooves us then, doesn't it, to draw nearer to Christ. To rely upon his spirit to work in us. It behooves us then to give everything that we have to him. Lord, whatever you want to do, I am yours. Use me in wherever I'm at, whether I'm at the workplace, whether I'm at the gym. Lord, may my life be a a reflection of your grace and love. And may my life, may my lips speak those things that will bring people to Christ. May my lips be the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be the thing that is on my lips and on my heart. Because from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And may it be true of us saints, and myself included, that wherever we go, Wherever we go in this world, may our lips never cease to give and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming the virgin birth, yes. Proclaiming Christ. And don't be afraid and ashamed and taken by surprise when you go through various trials and temptations. Don't let it take you by surprise. Just pray. Trust the Lord in through this. He's he's working in all of us in such wonderful ways. He's building you up. We are a family of God. We are a family. And God is working hard things in all of our lives. And you know what? Let's support one another. Let's love on one another regardless. And you know, we need to be about that, don't we? We need to be about that. Instead of looking at each other with critical eyes, let's look at each other with Christ's eyes and realize that we are all going through a period in our life and it's a stage 
Everybody's got their stage of life that they're going through. Some are new moms. Some are new, newly, newly, they're, they're a brand new mom. They just had a baby. Others have teenagers. Others have kids out of the house. Some are in, you know, postgraduate school. <laughs> I mean that post-children, everybody's out of the house, and now it's just you and your husband. All these different stages. And aren't we growing in each of those stages? Aren't we making mistakes in those stages? Aren't we fumbling a little bit here and there? And you know, it's a great thing when we can come together like this as a church. And we can fellowship. We can hang out with each other. We can share the things that we've learned with others that are um, that maybe haven't been in the Lord as long as we have. Maybe there's experiences that we've experienced that we can share. Let's do that. Let's continue to do that. Because, folks, that's what, that's what the, today is about, partly, is that we can encourage and love one another. Can we do that? Can we? Let's do that. Let's love one another. Let's love one another, regardless of any of those things that would try to separate us in this culture. And there are many things. Don't let them do it. Don't let the world put you in a box. Don't let the world say, well, this person, this type, this group of people, you know, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. We got to be careful with everything. Even in our political alignments, you have to be really careful because we can alienate people from Christ just because we're a certain way. We have to be really careful. We have to remember the main thing. And what is the main thing? The main thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him resurrected and that we need to come to him. That's the main thing. Shall we stand? Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for your great grace upon our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you love us Regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our skin color, regardless of anything, Lord, you have called us, Lord, to be your ambassadors. You've called us to be Christ ones. We are Christians. Lord, help us to remember who the battle, uh, or that, that there is a battle raging. And Lord, help us to never, for, never forget who the enemy really is. It's not the people that we see in front of us. And Lord, help us to be the very best examples we can. Even in the midst of our turmoil and our frustration, even our anger, Lord, would you take control of these things in our life? Lord, would you temper them? And only you can do that, Lord. Would you please do that in this family? And would you cleanse us, Lord, and heal us? And pour out your spirit again and use us and help us to love one another, God. The world will know that we are your disciples by the love that we have for one another. May it be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.